everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. I didn't know cheap was bad, but I, I, I'm going to guess it is. It's all a matter of perspective. We have a great show. we got all kinds of stuff to talk about today, and Fat Tuesday's on the horizon, so Yay. it's appropriate. A lot of booze Let today. Let the good times roll. But first up, we need a, speaking of roll, we need a drum roll because a big-name chef is on the move, Chef David Deshaies, who's a chef partner at Central. Um, with partner with the dearly departed and recently departed Michel Richard. So one of our favorite people ever. Great man. He was so much fun. He's going to do his own thing in the Mount Vernon Shaw neighborhood with the unconventional diner. And we're going to hear all about that. David is in today. Mm-hmm. And Whiskey Fest is back in D.C. It's the second time. It's coming March 2nd. I haven't sobered up from the first one. Yeah, you didn't go to the first one. Oh, and right. you don't drink whiskey. Oh, so. well, what am I drunk from? Oh, it couldn't be that marriage of one. Anyway, they're going to be on the phone later. We have uh, Jeffrey Lindemoth, who's going to be talking with us about the big festival this year. You're definitely going to want tickets to it. All right, and Filippo Alampi, who has taken the olive oil world world by storm. That's easy and, for you and to who say. Is a, I, I want to say it's not really true, a fellow Fiorentino. Uh, he's he's yeah, got a great really farm true. outside of Florence. But Filippo's in today. Uh, his company is called Olio to Go, and, um, and we're going to hear all about him. Mean, he literally came on like a storm, and he's won major mm. awards. We're going to hear from him shortly. Oh, my God. I just took a sip of something that is so delicious. Well, it's very exciting. I said it's a boozy show. Yes. So the guys who wrote Colonial Spirits are in uh, Stephen Grass and Michael. Michael, what's your last name? Michael Allen. Sorry, I lost it for a minute. Have, have put together an amazing book, really, that reaches back to, in the spirit of Hamilton and all that that is, that reaches back to America's basically drunken history and how the founders who were um, medicating themselves, I guess you could say, with lots of stuff, um, uh, it's sort of a combined history and recipe book about all that they drank and all that that means to us now. We're going to hear all about that shortly. And what else have we got here? That's it. Yeah, let's so start. let's start. Stephen and Michael, let's talk to you guys first. So where did the idea for this book come from? Uh, well, I'm a history nerd. I live in Philadelphia, Society Hill, um, obsessed with the history and stories, and I like to drink. So the, the Boy, that all goes together, together really and, well. And, and we have a book. You can be our historian of residence, <laughs> in, re- in residence here. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I was, I guess, the spirit of this book, of this spirit's book, because of all the excitement over Hamilton. I mean, how did you get to... No, this had nothing to do with that. I mean, you are reading one day about Hamilton. all the stuff they drank, and you went, wow. But I, uh, I think it all comes together, because if you read about books like Hamilton, if mm-hmm. you read through those books... You realize everyone was drunk. They're drinking all the time. They're drinking I'm all the time. I'm reading that book now, and that's all they're talking. You know. Exactly, and and you know Hamilton died in a duel. I'm sure he was pretty drunk when he when he decided to, <laughs> I hope so. to I hope have it a didn't duel hurt. there. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, drinking is part of America's history. It's part of it. You know, the the revolution was wasn't really over tea. It was over booze and tobacco. Mm-hmm. So uh, we told the story. Well, let's talk about sort of the spirits that were available back then. How people went about making them, and then the kinds of because the research in here is really 
vast. I mean, you both did a lot to come up with what's in here. Well, the spirits, like you didn't go to your liquor store and buy right. a bottle. Uh, there were no brands. Everything was homemade. Everything, or it was imported in barrels. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, and, and people drank for survival. So the book, what's really interesting about the book is we come full circle to today's craft movement. Mm-hmm. So today... Uh, beer makers and distillers are getting into making things locally, uh, artisanal ingredients. But back then, that was through necessity. So our book goes full circle back to... Well, I also want to give a, a shout-out to Michael because the illustrations in yeah. this book are... Oh, thank you very much. Awesome. I mean, they're, it's a, I mean, everything is in context in this book. You might as well be reading something that George Washington had on his bookshelf here, except for the... You know, the retrospective history. We also really tried to, to, you know, it's interesting. When I talk about history with my wife, I literally see her eyes glaze over and she fades away. That's mm-hmm. funny. I have the same reaction from mine. <laughs> but that's just when he <laughs> talks about anything. Anything, right. So we wanted to make the book fun to read and, mm-hmm. and fun and easy to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, so illustrations and the history is written in a style that is, uh, I, I would say, kind of smart, snarky. Yeah, a little irreverent. Yeah, I mean, but not, not in a way that's um, condescending, I no, don't think, no. at all. No, it's fun. It's a fun read. It's very interesting. All right, we're going to come back to you guys in a little bit, but you did pour a drink first, Michael. What do we got here? Yeah, we have a uh, coffee ratafia. Ratafia is kind of like a blanket term for cordials uh-huh. um, that could have been made with wine, uh, brandy. Or the one I prepared today is made with rum and coffee. Um, I mean, this is how coffee should be drunk yeah. all yeah. the time. Honestly, if this was a little bit more viscous, you could pour it on pancakes and waffles. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. This is a great brunch drink, don't you yeah. think? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I would start off with the coffee-flavored one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like a do-it-yourself Kahlua in a way. Yeah. That's it's a, very much like It's Kahlua. really delicious. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. So let's move on, and we'll, we'll get back to you guys shortly. And let's talk to David Deshays, who has spent how many years at Central? Seven? Eight? No, oh. and Citronelle. He's and been Citronelle, around forever. That's right, you were at Citronelle before 16 then. years for Michel Richard, yes. But you right. look like you're 15. How is know, that like possible? I don't know. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll break into baby face in a minute. <laughs> All right, so you're still at Central. Yes, but he's a partner you are building, in Central. you're building, you know, the unconventional diner in Shaw. Yes. So give us kind of the overall information. So unconventional diner will be an American comfort food with an expected unconventional twist. This is how we will say uh, the modern take on traditional American food. And the best part, and I think you will like this one, is going to be cheap. Oh, good. That's like good it. for him. And I like your fake French accent. It's really working on the <laughs> but show. So, I, think it's good. I mean, just to bring up your mentor, Michel, yes. I mean, he loved American cuisine. He exactly. loved the burger. He loved fried chicken. These were all things that he loved to play with. So are you are you taking a little bit of that from him? So let me tell you where I come from, the idea. Um, I used to travel a lot with Michel for charities all over America. Mm-hmm. And all the time we do an event and we finish the event at 10, 30, 11 p.m. All the time before going back to the hotel, we was hungry. And mm-hmm. we always finish in a diner. Sure, because they're the only mm-hmm. things that were open. Exactly right. right. So all the time we see, he said, David, you see how packed it is? The food is not even good. <laughs> and it's packed. <laughs> we were at a diner he, last night. That's right. And, and it was packed. <laughs> it right? was packed. And, and he told me, he said, David, be smart. One day, open a diner. Do mm-hmm. a good diner. Make it fun, modern, fresh food with a, with a strong chef like you. Mm-hmm. You will be able to do a great restaurant. Well, well so yeah. how did you do um, diner food without chefing it up too much? Because I think... Sometimes people do that, and then it 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 gets away from it a little bit. You know, I you agree. could still do really good product, and you know, really. 
but keep classic the, dishes, but without making it too chefy. Do you know what I mean? Exactly right. Yeah, we need to make very careful. It's why I've been working on a menu for many months now to keep it simple. I'm happy to consult, by the way. <laughs> yeah. He's so, happy to give his opinion, is what right. he means. So, yeah, no, we want to do a, a, an American classic restaurant, but everything will be a little bit more fun. Like, I'm traveling a lot. Uh, every year I go to Peru, for example. I love Peruvian food. So, mm -hmm. what I do is I'm going to have a ceviche on the menu. Where I'm going to use some spices and some uh, hot chili from there. Mm -hmm. You know, everything will be... You will have a fried chicken on a menu and everything, but maybe the cross will be made a little bit more unconventional, you know? Well, this wait, is what you know, about. I mean, listen, when I, growing up in New Jersey, there's a diner on every corner. Sure. And some of the diners' menus were like encyclopedias. I mean, there were, yeah. I didn't even understand how it was possible uh, to have I've that much. There. Right. I, I, I've been... It doesn't even make sense. Yes. Do you know what I mean? But, but it's all good. <laughs> but me, it's right. It's going to be a focused restaurant. It's going to be a small menu mm -hmm. and uh, with a, when you will read the menu, you mm -hmm. will read completely a diner food. Right. But when it will come, it will look a little bit unconventional. And so where, what's the space again? Where is it? It's on 12th Street. Mm -hmm. uh, 9th Street. 9th Street. Oh, you don't shop. even know where your own place is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ninth but I have a question. You, so, I mean, Michelle was a James Beard uh, award winner for lots of reasons, but his, the thing that he was very well known for, I want to say it right, was Trump, Trump Loy. Yes. So... When you could serve something that looked like a hard-boiled egg, but it turned out to be God knows what. Mozzarella and been, tomato. Corned beef, yeah. and whatever. I made it so with them. So will you do any of that, or are you just going to forget we, everything you did for the we, last 20 we, years? We will try, but this kind of, what you just said, this was food for citronelle, and right. this is very labor-intensive. This is not something I will be able to do over there, not because I don't want to do it, but also I don't have the money for it. Will you well, have a lobster like burger? Pardon? Will you have a lobster burger? No, that's no it's too fancy. Yeah. It's way too fancy. Not for me? No. No, well, you would go to Central for that. The lobster burger at Central is $33. I'm not going to have oh, this wait, kind I'm of price range. That, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, it's, this so is now, it. But you will still be at Central, right? Yes. I mean, Central is still yeah, your I'm baby. Yeah, I'm partner. And, right. and, you know, since Michel left us, I feel like it's my duty to make sure Central keep it strong. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and we do that. And uh, we have a great team in place. And I will be still consulting over there and make sure everything is good and changing the menu once in a while. Because the restaurant is still slammed. I yeah. mean, you're still very busy there. Is yeah. Brian back there? Brian's yeah, he's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian's there. there. You know, it's been time, it's time for you to come back. I he's, know. A, he's in my all-star. We love Brian. Yeah, yeah Brian, uh, um, do a great so job. So can we talk a little bit about Mardi Gras? Because yes. Because I know that um, you're going to be doing a big celebration. You guys always knock it out of the park every year. Yeah, we love to do uh, all these things like Cinco de Mayo, Beaujolais Nouveau, and uh, Mardi Gras. So mm -hmm. this year's we... We come up some uh, menu and dishes, like we'll have a fish cake, a mm -hmm. crayfish bisque, frog legs with barbecue sauce, mm -hmm. jambalaya, shrimp po' boy, uh, bourbon raisin bread pudding, banana foster, all these classic. Right. What happens to the rest of the frog? Are they just in wheelchairs? or I mean, what, what happens to these frogs? Uh, Can you know. eat the rest of the frog? We make stock with it. You make, make frog stock? Yeah. And we, we use it to make our sauce, yes. Absolutely. I mean, that does make so, sense now yeah. that you say I, that. I, I guess. I just thought it was a stupid joke that he no, was no. doing. Um, it wasn't a stupid joke. I was asking. <laughs> Frog stock sounds like a music festival. <laughs> if you're a good chef, you use every part of everything. Okay, no you waste. do. Okay, well, no I waste. think that's important. All so, right. But now, that kind of cuisine, the Creole, is not part of what you normally do, No, right? it's why. I love to do this thing. Right. Like Cinco de Mayo, last year's remember. I asked one of my ladies who work with me in the kitchen, a Mexican girl, she, she showed me how to do a mole. Mm -hmm. It's a long process. Oh, it's and, a really labor intensive. And, and, and it was, was a great 
thing for me to learn that. And so it's why I love to do these events. Mm-hmm. Well, that's terrific. So what else will be there? Will you guys have music there this year? Uh, we we are going to put uh, ambiance and everything. We're not going to have a band, but we're going to okay. be ambiance. We are going to decor. facing the Trump Hotel. Can we get that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the party is here. A but political comment. We are going to decor the restaurant. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. will have the hostess will be with beans and everything. Mm-hmm. It will be fun. Now for the new property, what are, what's our? I I don't want you to have to give me a date, obviously, because it never happens. But what's the ETA? Like, what are I you would, hoping? I would say July. July. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. And yeah. so for people who aren't familiar, who, who know Shaw area, like, where is it compared to, like, all-purpose and convivial, like... Across the street from all-purpose. Next, next to Smoke and Stack. Oh, 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 so it's in that building. So yeah. it's by There's the Union Grocery. Windows. That's yeah. becoming a food hub. Oh, my God, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. Do you have yeah, pictures? Are you is... going to show us a picture? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a... radio. Use your imagination. Yeah, but we have it on Facebook there. Live, so she can show it. That's right. Um, very cool. Yeah, for all those people who are listening, if you want to see what's going on in studio, you can go to Nikki Nellis on Facebook and see us on Facebook Live, and you'll see everything that's going well, why on. Why don't we go to commercial as we show Oh, the there we go. Look at that. That's a fabulous space. And you're with Marjorie, Tiffany. Yeah. And uh, the that. Union um, Grocery is on the corner now. Yes, exactly right. Which is, they have really cool products. Yes. And all purposes across the street. Yeah. Right. Damn. Cedric, my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Right and there. Cedric is up like, the street. You yeah. could die of gluttony. Oh, just at 9th and uh, whatever that is. S- and 9th and N. 9th and N. All right. Good Lord. All right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. This Thank is you. David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. Shop the market at River Falls in Potomac for the finest selection of fresh fish. More than 20 types of fish and 15 types of shellfish every day. Plus gourmet prepared foods at MarketRiverFalls.com or call 301-765-8001. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at ProFish.com. The Federal Drive with Tom Temin, weekday morning starting at 6 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search Federal Drive. United Soldiers and Sailors of America provides food, shelter, utilities, toiletries, and the essentials for daily living to our combat-wounded service members and their families. The need for help rises dramatically in the winter. Sometimes our wounded warriors are forced to choose between paying to heat their homes or buying food for their families. You can lessen the burden by donating to USASOA.org. All money given to United Soldiers and Sailors of America goes directly to our service members. Again, that's USASOA.org. This is Roger Waldron, president of the Coalition for Government Procurement and host of Off the Shelf. My show brings a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Each week, I talk to experts from inside and outside government about the latest federal compliance and policy information for government contractors. Join me every Tuesday and Thursday morning at 11 a.m. for Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m. or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Off the Shelf. In 2008, PGA professional Steve Greiner established a Wounded Warrior Golf Program to serve the Washington, D.C. area. Since its inception, over 1,000 military lives have been positively impacted at zero cost to the participants. Now, Links to Freedom, an approved 501c3 nonprofit, needs your help to continue providing injured service members and their families this critical rehabilitative program. Please visit linkstofreedom.org. That's linkstofreedom.org for more details today. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. I want to thank everybody at ProFish, the market at River Falls, 
uh, Central Farm Market, Celebrity Cruises for supporting the show and being our friends. Mm -hmm. It's so nice. Absolutely. So let's go back to David Deshays. David, we never really got into uh, the nitty-gritty. Okay, you keep changing his name. David. David. Well, David. I'm a David, so you're a David. We're both Davids. David Deshays. Did they David. call you... Did they call you Dee Dee when you were little? No. no so we don't share that. Um, with all the stuff that you'll be doing at the diner, have you come up with new recipes, sort of new takes on, on standards? Yeah, so basically um, I will use this. All, all what we know, it's American diner food, but everything will be a little bit different and healthy. I really uh, think now people make very careful about their health. and mm -hmm. we Especially going, in this area. Yes. Yes, so we want some vegan dumpling, we want some uh, a meatless meatloaf, we mm -hmm. want uh, all this kind of thing where people doesn't feel guilty, you know? Right. Not greasy food, I don't want that. No, I'm totally with you. I think people feel that if they're going to uh, really take in calories that they want to do do it it's got to be worth it exactly so I, just, I disagree i want to risk a coronary every time yeah. i go in there no i mean i don't mind eating like going to philadelphia where uh those two gentlemen are from and having you know a philly cheesesteak like i i will do it yes obviously but in my day-to-day -day life i want to eat well not just healthy but if i'm going to eat i want it to be worth it yeah there's nothing worse than eating bad food and yeah. knowing as you're eating it that like it's tons of calories and it's just a waste it's not giving you anything it's just a yeah. waste you're just putting it in your body but, but which the most is a total first world problem but the most important for me it's also when you go to a diner let's say the, the prices are pretty cheap let's mm -hmm. say and and me it will be maybe a slightly more expensive than regular diners because my chicken will be from a good farm where we sure. know it grow in the right way because it's what i love do I, I, I pick the end product you know mm -hmm. so the beef will be a, a dry age and it will be a very flavorful meat but it will be healthy you know what you eat is it's, it's a good product for you well so let me ask you about that as far as your sourcing for the new concept um i mean you've been here now for quite a long time yeah so it's really the availability of good sourcing has changed oh, yes. drastically, Oof. right? Alors là, you have nothing to be ashamed about in America. You have the best product like mm -hmm. we have in France. You we have, have a lot of things farmer. to be ashamed about in America. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to go there. <laughs> We're talking about food. Oh. <laughs> We're talking about sourcing. But uh, no, definitely now you have great farmer. You, it's, uh, it's amazing. Like mm -hmm. uh, uh, in Pennsylvania, you have this uh, Senate farm uh, where we buy all our chicken at Central. It's amazing. Right. Yes, exactly right. I know it's, they're amazing. So this is what we want for our diner. Everything will be good product over there and made in house. Mm -hmm. Not going to be frozen chicken coming in a pack. We won't do that. You butcher? Yes, of course. Oh. I start when I was young at 15 years old. Mm -hmm. That's what I start to do. That's amazing. All, All right. right, let's it's tell the unconventional everybody. diner at Ninth and N, right across the street from. Yes. From, from All purpose. Tiffany McIsaac at. Buttercream. Uh, Buttercream Bakery and yes. all-purpose. And, right and next don't forget to let the good times roll at Central. Laissez les bons temps right. rouler. Did I say it right? Yes, absolutely. Mon Dieu, mon ami. <laughs> you Tuesday, guys. Yes. All right, cool. All right, so. Uh, Michael and Stephen. Michael and Stephen, let's go back yes. to you guys. So I, how did you research all the recipes? And, I mean, how did where did you find all this stuff? There's these things called books. Books. Yeah. Oh my God. Seriously? <laughs> Wait, is that on my phone? Did they burn them? I thought they burned I mean, all of them. Some people, you know. Uh, Boy, he knows his audience. Do he? other things <laughs> for fun. I, I, I read old history books. 
But that being said, I also had a staff of like 10 people work with me on this. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Well, so let's talk about some of the recipes in here. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of these things 10 years ago, nobody was really like shrubs. Yeah. Like all of a sudden shrubs are. Why don't we say what a shrub is? Okay. Why don't you tell us what a shrub is? Um, They're also known as drinking vinegars. It's a sugar, vinegar, and a fruit generally. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of makes like a syrup consistency, and you can mix it with sparkling water. You can use it as an ingredient in your cocktails. Um, yeah, just it was, it, it was a way of shrub? preserving. It was a way of preserving the flavors of the season back what? in the day. Why, why, why is it, it called a shrub? I am not exactly sure why it's called a shrub. But it was done you. for preservation, right? So back in the day, when you're uh, trying to keep your crops for the for the winter, mm-hmm. you put the fruit vinegar in it. It actually helped preserve it. Oh, so it was just yes. like with canning and yeah. things of that nature. Yeah, it has thing. a nice tang to it. It right. gets a nice, a nice little bite to the. Uh, to mm-hmm. the but you know, ten years ago, you didn't <clears throat> see shrubs. No, but now, anywhere. Now, but now, now, now it's totally back on people's. In fact, cars. we are one of our new products is we've canned <gasps> it. Shut up! Yeah, the lemon this is shrubs. in test market in Philadelphia. I believe she just told you to shut up. Uh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is great. So how are you marketing that, and how are you explaining to people who maybe don't understand how to incorporate a shrub either into their cocktails or into their daily life? How does somebody drink a shrub? I personally, I I love it with just soda water. You kind of should approach it like the same way you would approach just like a citrus juice. I mean, that's kind of what. Vinegar played a role in back in the day since citrus mm-hmm. was so expensive. I mean, shrubs inherently don't have alcohol in them. Right. But you can add alcohol. So they work great with a vodka or a gin or a lot of white spirits, but right. I guess also brown spirits as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what are we drinking here? Well, right here we have Benjamin Franklin's Milk Punch. Okay. Which is pretty much taken directly from a letter that he wrote uh, to James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the technique is very interesting. It's in, right. It, you have to start with brandy. And lemon juice. Mm -hmm. And into that mixture, you add whole milk. And the natural acidity of the lemon juice curdles the milk. And the curds actually wash the brandy. So it's a really great way to kind of clean up a cheaper brandy, which, you know, back in the day, they really didn't have the distilling techniques that we do now to separate all the impurities impurities. out. So the curds kind of did that for in How did they punch. figure that out? What what guy sat around or woman sat around and said, let's add some milk to this? I have no idea. But Trial you know, and honestly, air. though, it's no different than when you're making a consomme. Like the very yeah. first time I learned from Roberto Donna about consomme, he put eggshell. Mm-hmm. He oh, put the yes. shells in. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a way as a way to pull up Absorb. the impurities? You yeah. know? So it was kind of like, you know, homespun chemistry. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And And the remarkable thing about it is it's... The, the liquid is not milky at all. No, yeah. it's no, you know, it actually, it's really funny yeah. when you hear the word milk punch. Yeah. I mean, to me, yeah. like, I, I don't think I'm like I don't think I'm gonna like that. Like my no. first yeah, thought yeah. is that does not sound good. Yeah. No, it's not really dairy oriented. And in fact, I just made this one a couple of days ago. The longer you let it sit, it will clarify, and it's the it's, the milk so solids settle. Yeah, it's a limoncello. Yeah. So you made this a couple of days ago. Yeah. You bottled it. Yeah. And sent it to us. Yes. And it was not refrigerated or anything. No, it's the brandy that kind of preserves it. I mean, okay. I recommend refrigerating if you're going to make it at home. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I've, I've made batches, and they've lasted, like, over a year in my refrigerator. I mean, it's kind of hard to All keep right. them around that long, but, yeah. Ben Franklin was a big drinker. Yes. Uh, in the book we have, I think, uh, there's, uh, like, 50 or 60 terms he had for being drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, a, a great one is... Um, uh, a head full of bees. Um, Did he say Shabazz? No. <laughs> I don't know if he said Shabazz. He said uh, he's afflicted. Um, he's dipped his bill 
I mean, there's, there's quite a few great ones. Okay, I'm going to say that. That, that show, does not sound like Keith's drive. Right. That sounds like something else This is else a good segue because we're going to move on to talk to, we've got um, uh, our next next guest on the phone, and we're going to be talking about Whiskey Fest. Jeffrey Lindemuth. Je- Jeffrey's on. Jeffrey, are you there? I'm here. You, How are you doing, guys? You've Hi. been listening to this drunken conversation about colonial spirits. So Jeffrey is the editor of, uh, executive editor, pardon me, of Whiskey Advocate, which is um, really the, the country's premier spirits magazine, but he's also a moving force behind Whiskey Fest. And the second annual Whiskey Fest is back here in D.C. starting March 2nd at the Marriott Marquis. And, Jeffrey, why don't we sort of start from the start? Why Whiskey Fest? Why whiskey? What's happening there on the whiskey scene? Well, it's it's a great time to be a whiskey lover for sure. And uh, people are, are rediscovering whiskey, and younger drinkers are discovering it for the first time. Uh, we've got tons of craft distillers happening, so whiskey has just been rocketing. I mean, sales of whiskey uh, soared about 40% in the last five years, so times are, are very good right now for whiskey fans. Well, there's a there's a sort of an American culinary revolution, I guess. It's all about flavors and rediscovering flavors from the past, um, but whiskey, I mean, we have... We have a lot of kids, but our, our oldest son in particular has become a whiskey aficionado. And for me, so he thinks. Huh? So he thinks. He thinks yeah, he's a snot about it. But, <laughs> but yeah. But I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, there are distilleries opening up, and whiskey is really back center stage. What caused that? Well, yeah, you really nailed it. I mean, it's part of the larger culinary revolution for sure. Um, but I've I've had the same experience. You know, I go to to weddings and things, and I see uh, 25-year-old kids, and they're just bonkers about whiskey. Right. And I I think you know, you know, I have nothing against vodka. I'm sort of an equal opportunity drinker. But mm-hmm. um, you, you know, a lot of those spirits, the whole like vodka filtered through diamonds, and you know, there was a lot of faux marketing. And I think there's a generation that through that, and whiskey uh, is a spirit with an authentic story, an incredible history, and, you know, a real connection to grain and farming. Well, plus there's also been this incredible uh, explosion nationally of new distilleries, and is that part of the reason for the fest, to sort of bring these... Or in response. Or Right, exactly, both, either or. Yeah, um, you know, there isn't. I think we're now over 1,300 small craft distillers Mm -hmm. in in the U.S. at at last count, and it's it's hard to even keep count because they're they're just soaring all the time. Um, I think that's more a response to the demand. You know, it's part of the enthusiasm. So we we do have those represented at Whiskey Fest. For instance, I think uh, Joseph A. Magnus. Uh, well, yeah, they Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I've never had their whiskeys myself, so I'm looking forward to coming down there because a lot of those small distillers never leave their home market. I mean, most of it is sold in-state or in the local market, so uh, this is a chance for visitors to try some of those. No, that's um, a really good point. I'll, I mean, what's happening in D.C., and we've been talking about it in studios, there has been a real distillery explosion. I mean, just a couple years ago, there was nothing made locally, and now you have every spirit under the sun made down here. I'm going to jump in with yes. it because, uh, uh, Jeffrey, can you hold? We've got to go to commercial. We want to come back because it's not just in America this is happening. I mean, you know, we've done shows on Japanese whiskeys, but you've got whiskeys from India and China and all kinds of places that you would kind of never expect it. Can you hold, and we'll come back to you in about uh, two minutes? Absolutely. All okay. right. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. If you've ever worked for a large company that provides services to a customer, at some point you may have said, Huh, I think I might be able to do this better on my own. 
Well, this is a show for people who actually take the step off the ledge and fend for themselves in the cutthroat world that is government contracting. I'm Alan Scott of Columbia Technology Partners and host Ready to Prime. Part information, part inspiration, and all small business. Heard the last Tuesday of every month on Federal News Radio 1500 AM or on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Ready to Prime. In today's competitive job market, imagine not having the reading skills needed to even fill out an application. 90,000 adults in D.C. are considered functionally illiterate. It takes a lot for an adult to admit they can't read. It takes even more courage to do something about it. The Washington Literacy Center teaches adult learners to read, giving them options and a bright future. Please give back to the community by donating today. Go to WashingtonLiteracyCenter.org and make your much-needed charitable contribution. Changing lives through literacy. WashingtonLiteracyCenter.org Are you or someone you know a victim of crime? If so, call the D.C. Victim Hotline at 1-844-4-HELP-DC. The D.C. Victim Hotline assists victims of any crimes in the District of Columbia by connecting them to resources that empower them to take the next steps toward healing. It's a free, anonymous service staffed with fully trained victim assistance specialists. You can chat online at dcvictim.org or text and call 1-844-4-HELP-DC. That's 1-844-4-HELP-DC. I'm Aileen Black. And I'm Gigi Shum. Together, we host Women of Washington. You'll hear the inspiring and amazing stories of women who have paved their own path to success and achieved incredible milestones in their careers. Some have leaned in. Others took an unconventional approach. All have made an impact on the business landscape of Washington, D.C. and beyond. Tune in Wednesday afternoons at 1 for Women of Washington, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Women of Washington. All right, we're back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Jeffrey Lindenmuth, who's the executive editor of Whiskey Advocate, but also one of the driving forces behind Whiskey Fest, is on the phone with us. Whiskey Fest is the second at the Marriott Marquis. Uh, Jeffrey, why don't we get into the details of Whiskey Fest? Because you've got, you've got nearly 70 booths and 300 whiskeys from all over the world. Yeah, walk us through it. Walk us through like, how yeah. people will be experiencing the event. Yeah, I mean, I can't walk you through all 300, and uh, we, we recommend that attendees do not try that themselves mm-hmm. um, because, it, you, you know. That was a whiskey joke, impossible. wasn't it? That was a whiskey <laughs> joke. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so so three over 300 whiskeys, uh, and, and as you said, David, they are from around the globe. I mean, we have whiskeys not just from the U.S., but from Japan, from, from India, um, because this really is. A, glo- a global boom. Um, and I think why people are attracted to the event is it's an opportunity for real whiskey enthusiasts or novices to find whiskeys that just simply aren't out there in the market for them to buy, really, for any amount of money. You know, we're, we're in uh, a, a state right now where whiskey demand is so high mm-hmm. um, that opportunities for finding some of these whiskeys are really impossible. So this may be the only place that you find some of them. Uh, so how do you go about like explaining that to the people who are there? I mean, is there, you know, like if somebody comes and they don't know about, let's say the whiskeys from India or, or whatever, how do you help highlight those things? Well, you, you know, we have a, we have an app which people use to navigate and most, most consumers come in with their hit list uh, pretty, pretty well in mind. You know, they'll go through the guide or the app mm-hmm. and you can check and decide what you're going to look. And, and some come in with an approach. You know, we have people who are just, uh, I just love peaty scotch and right. I want to taste the, the peatiest scotches I can find. And they're very mm-hmm. obsessed or focused with that. Um, other folks are just there to try something new that they haven't had before. I mean, that's sort of my 
MO is I go through the list and just say, okay, what haven't I tasted here? And there's always something. Well, what about, so um, I've done a couple whiskey tastings over the years. What about like the addition of water? Like how do you walk, like that was something that a guy once spent like 20 minutes explaining to me how you should add so much, with so much thing. time and to get the flavor, like how do you do that at a festival like this? Well, we, there there is water at, at each booth available for drinking or for dilution. And, you know, I'm not sure who you got your instruction from, but, but mm-hmm. uh, I think he steered you the right way because, you know, some of these whiskeys, the proof is actually so high that it will numb your palate. Um, so master distillers, when they're, when they're tasting, add quite a generous amount of water because it cuts the alcohol burn and allows you to taste the whiskey uh, layers of flavor more clearly. So mm-hmm. water water is generally a good idea, especially well, for very high proof. Whiskey. That brings a good question. How do you taste whiskey? Do you taste it the same way you taste wine, where you you sniff and you swirl, but you don't swallow? Um, mo- most drinkers here do swallow their whiskeys because they're kind of precious to waste and and, and spit out um, and we're, we're, we're doing small small portions you get a, a quarter ounce roughly of each whiskey so that you can taste a lot of them um, but as you guys know it's really your your yes your sense of smell is much more acute than what you taste so the majority of what you perceive is going to come through the nosing glass and everybody who attends, gets a, a, a crystal Glencairn nosing glass, which is sort of uh, the, the perfect vessel for tasting whiskey, concentrates the aromas, and you can really try to discern everything uh, through that um, because you're going to get more through your nose than, than you really can with your palate. All right, so uh, I want to get to some of the nitty-gritty. You're at the Marriott Marquis. How do we get tickets to Whiskey Fest? Uh, tickets are still available, actually, at, at whiskeyfest.com. That's W H I S K Y no E no E com. right yeah that's the, that's the, the Scottish way we've embraced the Scottish spelling okay so no E whiskeyfest.com. well I'll spare you my Scottish accent all right so two <laughs> things if you had to pick the one seminar you would attend and the one whiskey you would want to try hit us with that oh uh, boy you know there's a there's a limited edition whiskey uh, from High West called a Midwinter Night's Dram. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorites right now. It's, it's, uh, it's a rye whiskey that has extra aging in port and wine barrels. And I think it's just a great wintertime whiskey. And, and you, it's one of those that's tough to find. People stand in line for it. So I would definitely uh, put that on my hit list. We're pouring that during the VIP hour. And uh, for seminars, you know, we have John Glazer coming from Compass Box. Mm-hmm. He's sort of a, a, a blender of whiskeys. He, he blends together different types of scotch and makes these very uh, sought after sort of, you know, he's like, he's an artist. He just takes different whiskeys and blends them into, into to beautiful combinations. And he's highly revered. Is he part of that? So, isn't you know, there some group out of Scotland? I, I went to one of their meetings. I, it was years ago. I can't remember the name where like you have to be a member and they blend these scotches. And then if you're a lucky member, you get one of the bottles. Um, oh, could be. Yeah. I'll have to, I have to, I'll She's looking at me. I drink beer. Yeah. He I doesn't drink. And olive oil. Anyway, well, we want to thank you so much for joining us today, and the event sounds fabulous. So uh, just tell Thanks people again where they can find it. the tickets. Yes, uh, uh, whiskeyfest.com. They, they normally sell out. We've been doing this for about 20 years, mm-hmm. but it's only our second year in D.C., so mm-hmm. it's still a little bit of a secret. Um, but 
Whiskey Fest, no E in whiskey, and there are still tickets available. Okay, okay great. great. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. All thanks. right, so now we're going to turn and talk about olive oil, great olive oils. Uh, Filippo Alampi is here. He has a, a farm and an olive oil production operation just outside of Florence, which makes him gives him vaunted guest status already. Um, and Filippo, why don't we start from the start because you've kind of taken the olive oil world by storm in a in a relatively short period of time. I mean, you did not grow up in the business, right? Your father was in the business. No, I started the business in 2000. Yeah, I would. I, maybe my mother bought the property in Tuscany. And it was surrounded by olive oil trees, and so I start working it in on it. All right. Well, I guess the first question is because it. I mean, there there are families that have been in this for generations and never. I mean, certainly it's one thing to to harvest awards. It's another thing to to harvest a lot of business globally. I mean, what is your what was your sort of model, your secret for mm. for you know moving up so quickly? I mean, I I think the first secret is a great passion. After time of working on it, and uh, after um, have make comparison with other olive oil, try to understand why why other producer make great olive oil and mm -hmm. and some knowledge. And well, all right, you just gave us a sample of something to try, and it's very peppery. Yeah. So how does that and happen? Grassy, super grassy. This is a monocultivar olive oil. Mm -hmm. So it's made uh, just with one cultivar of olive trees called. Moraiolo cultivar, mm -hmm. that is a typical cultivar of Tuscany and even Umbria mm -hmm. region. Uh, it should be uh, peppery and spicy. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we had a little cough fit over there. It was really <laughs> peppery and spicy well, now, for now, Michael. Now Colonial Spirits has only been written by one guy. <laughs> <laughs> it means that it has a lot of polyphenol inside, mm -hmm. and so it's something very healthy that even every day we have to search in high-quality olive oil. Mm -hmm. So pungency, a spicy, is something very good to find. Well, I, But so wait, let's, let's, let's stay focused. What? So um, let's just talk about your well, olive oils and the olive oils that you do, and then we can talk about what's happening here later this week where people can taste other olive oils and lots of Italian wines from the products. So um, you brought in several different kinds of olive oils. What are the differences between them? Yeah, we have four different labels that uh, Fattoria Ramerino produce uh, on the hill on the south of Florence. Mm -hmm. um, is a, an organic farm, and this is our four different uh, label of olive oil. Two monocultivar, olive oil, mm -hmm. and two blend. So two of them are made with a single uh, variety of trees. Okay, like, like, a single a, like a single vineyard? Like, like a single vineyard. So it's like just from single, one area. Like a Merlot, 100% mm -hmm. wine. Okay. So, so from a single kind of olive? Yeah, exactly. Okay, and then the ones that are mixes are from different kinds of olives? Yeah, it's blend. a blend. So first we make monocultivar, mm -hmm. and, when, and then we decide how to blend to have different uh, characteristics mm -hmm. on our blend. Okay. All right, so w like for the one we just tried, we had this very clean, peppery taste. But with the blends, what would we look for in those? Uh, it's different organolactic characteristic. In the blend, there is a much more grassy sensation, mm -hmm. artichoke sensation, mm -hmm. but 
it depends on the blend. Here, the Moraiolo, the first one, we have taste. It's like fresh almond sensation. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Guadagnolo Primus, we have green artichoke sensation first. Mm -hmm. But uh, all of them are from medium to high intense olive oil. And But when we're using these olive oils, it, are these finishing olive oils? Are these olive oils to go on like after a dish is done or with your salad? Like you're not, you wouldn't use these to cook, right? That you would waste them. You need to use with this olive oil. I mean, uh, this olive oil could be an ingredient, mm. a good ingredient for dishes. Mm -hmm. And you, you can it? use also by crude Mm -hmm. to finish a, a, a dishes. Right. Well, because I don't know, it's so, it's such a fine olive oil. I wouldn't want to waste it on like sauteing. <laughs> like I wouldn't want to, doesn't the heat All right, I'm going to jump in okay. and disagree with you because. Yeah, you don't cook. No, that's not the point. <laughs> no, I eat. Right. Which is more important. But the whole point of this, aside from, from having a real taste factor, is the health factor. And why wouldn't you use a good olive oil to for everything? Um, including, you know, with, regardless of what you're cooking, if it's just better for you. Right, but... Yeah. Okay. He, he agrees. And I know, but... More. No, no, no. But the question is, is that for the home cook, a really good quality olive oil, the flavor would be wasted if you're cooking with it, as opposed to putting it on a salad or using it as a dipping oil or finishing a product with, like, right, finishing why would it dishes. be wasted? Why doesn't it cook into the food, and why don't you pick it up in the food? I don't think you waste uh, cooking yes. with okay. high quality olive oil. Don't look now. I think she's crazy. Okay, chef agrees with me, yes. right? Because it's the money. It's yeah. money wise. Right, right. This could be a problem, but. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair I'm enough. I'm trying to help him. With I his know. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's talk about what's going on here later this week. The oleo to go. Well, first of all, Flosole is Flo is sort of the the Bible the the the. Publication that is the Bible of the mm -hmm. olive oil world. world yes, correct? it's a, a very important international guide, mm -hmm. uh, and you can make a comparison with, uh, I think, Wine Spectator. Right. Mm -hmm. the, wine. the first, I mean, it's the yeah. only one really of its kind that that aggregates all the information about for, all the for all over the world. Right. There is, I think, uh, this year, fifty different country of olive oil producer. Some of them, some of them, uh, you you. Couldn't imagine they produce olive oil. Right, and the thing, I, I, honestly, when I was reading about your, you know, your your production facility and what you've accomplished, it, you caught their attention so quickly and shot up through the, you know, which is winning, amazing, given winning how medals many. and all that. When you consider the, the the competition, that's what makes it so special for you. But the event is the event. Um, uh, the the you know, the bring every year mm -hmm. uh, some olive oil producer. High quality olive oil producer around the world, mm -hmm. and so this year's the Flossoli event tour is in Washington. Right, it's see? the first at the Mayflower Hotel. Yeah, the first at Mayflower. But how so many, how many uh, olive oil producers will there we be? We will be there about seventeen olive oil producer mm -hmm. from Italy, from Spain, from Portugal, from South Africa. Uh, see, I now that one's really one. fascinating to me. South African olive oils. I mean, there's not a lot of those in. I don't. I've never seen one in the U.S. market, so that's very interesting. Yeah, um, and maybe also one from France. Mm -hmm. uh, well, are the and uh, yeah, you're just saying that because he's here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, but no, here, the, the question wait, wait, wait. is: Is we there? We have to a, take a break. 
don't yeah, want to take a break. Yeah, we actually have to take a break. I got more to say. I know. All right, take All right a break. we'll be back. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We are tasting olive oils in studio, and we'll still get into some colonial spirits. We'll be back in just a minute. According to the American College of Cardiology, people with heart conditions should take extra care with outdoor winter chores. While it's important to exercise all year, shoveling snow and extreme cold can both put extra stress on the heart. Talk to your doctor about which exercise is right for you. If your doctor approves, go slowly. Move small shovels of snow at a time in short sessions, particularly if the snow is wet and heavy. Don't ignore signs of distress. For more on living well and heart disease and staying active in cold weather, visit Cardiosmart.org. Premature birth is the number one killer of babies. Those who survive often face birth defects and complications that affect them for life. For hundreds of thousands of families in the United States, this is the hardest thing they will ever have to face. And it's even harder on the baby. March of Dimes is providing education and support to families and funding life-saving research to give every baby a fighting chance. You can help. Do something today. Give them tomorrow at marchadimes.org slash tomorrow. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at ProFish.com. Your agency, your executives, your mission. Find out if we've explored your agency at federalnewsradio.com. Search Agency of the Month. Shop the market at River Falls in Potomac for the finest selection of fresh fish. More than 20 types of fish and 15 types of shellfish every day. Plus gourmet prepared foods at MarketRiverFalls.com or call 301-765-8001. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Before we get back to our guests, I just want to thank again ProFish, Market at River Falls in the center of Potomac, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, bucolic Potomac. Mm -hmm. uh, Central Farm Market, Celebrity Cruises for supporting the show. It's great. So, Filippo Alampi, let's get back to you. One of the questions I asked off camera was, off camera, yeah, off microphone. Camera. I wish I were, but mm -hmm. um, well, sort of. It's about the, the just the, sort of the the palatable, palpable, excuse me, um, uh, differences between olive oils that are made in South Africa, produced in Greece or Italy, where you know wherever. And your answer was that good olive oil is good olive oil. But what about the different sort of taste profiles that you get because of the different land and water? I think most of all the different made by the different cultivar. So some cultivar you can find only in Italy and mm -hmm. only in some region of Italy and uh, in only some small town of Italy. And uh, in South Africa, maybe you can find different cultivar. This is the, f the first very big uh, difference. So mm -hmm. different cultivar. Then there is also the terroir. So the same cultivar, for example, uh, Lecino, that is a quite international olive oil cultivar. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit different if you if you plant in Tuscany or if you plant uh, maybe in Japan. Right, just like wines or yeah. coffee beans or anything else, like the or bagels. Like it's all about the water. So even <laughs> even uh, you know, the, the 
olive oil from Tuscany and olive oil from Umbria, which is right next door, could have could know, have some olives. Some, something very similar. The Frantoio and Moraiolo are two very important cultivars for Umbria production and also for Tuscany production. You can find some small difference, but you have understand very well extra virgin olive oil. Mm -hmm. So it's not so easy to taste uh, Frantoio and said this is from Umbria or this is from Toscana. Right. All right. What else happens? Well, let's talk about this event. The event. Yeah. What else aside from tastings, which obviously you're going to do? Are there seminars on on growing? On I mean, what else will the magazine put up? There is some uh, olive oil course uh -huh. for tasting, uh, care by Marco Reggia and Laura Marinelli, uh -huh. and there is also Daniele Cernilli from Doctor Wine that introduce his wine uh, guide. Uh, in this event, there is a seventeen olive oil producer, but I think about thirty-five winemaker, Italian winemaker, very popular. In, in yeah, Marco Oreggia is a really interesting guy because he's sort of the uh, he, he sort of discovered, you know, premium olive oil as a as a as a marketplace and as an interest area really before anybody else was on it. When did he came out with this publication like ten years ago, twelve years ago, first time? The First time, I think, uh, about 15 years ago, but with another name, uh, L'Extravergine, mm -hmm. Guida dell'Extravergine. Uh, after five years, he started uh, his own uh, edition of Flossolei. So it's become a thing. Um, okay. All right. So, so wait, Luann, give us the 411 sure. on the event so everybody understands. I think the best place to get the event information is on the home page at mm -hmm. olio2go.com, O-L-I-O, the number two. Go.com, and we have it right on the homepage, all the links to the event. Okay, and just give, can you just quickly give people a 411 of what they can experience? Sure, um, 12 to 1, there will be an olive oil seminar. The afternoon is primarily for the trade and the press, and in the evening, 6 to 9, and it's good to sign up ahead of time for the tickets. Okay, so that's open to the public. 6 right? to 9 is open to consumers. Okay, and there are how many wineries? About at least 30 wineries and at least 17 olive oil producers. Okay, so what a oh, great, great way to get a taste of everything. Lots of taste, lots of great, yeah. notable tastes. Great, thank you so yes. much. All right, All right. Stephen and Michael, let's go back to you and the hysterical woman. We just were handed water. a drink. Hysterical water. 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 Well, but it well, was hysterical sorry. water was used to uh, cure women of sexually forward behavior. And to calm them down. So they weren't hysterical. They were no, no. Hysteria is the Greek word for, for uterus. Uterus. So the hysterical woman was thought to be, essentially in colonial, in in modern terms of colonial times, kind of a nutbag, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was to calm her down. Why? Because she wanted to have sex. No, exactly. Well, that. yeah. So this 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 uh, wonderful liquid we have here has all these calming ingredients, which okay. Michael can tell you about. All right, yeah, it starts with brandy, it. and then we have uh, lavender, St. John's wort, chamomile, peppermint, valerian root. Cool. So this is very, it's very herbally. Mm -hmm. um, what does valerian root do for you? It's kind of like an anti, uh, it's more of like a sedative. Like valium? But, but see, this puts me in the mood. It doesn't cure me of sexually forward behavior. I think it makes me want to be sexually Yeah, but you're not a woman. Maybe <laughs> you're, you're, maybe you're right. right. I mean, you might be, but I don't think you are. Right. So. <laughs> um, no, it, I, I think the whole concept is really interesting that, uh, you know, in the colonial times, they thought that, you know, tonics or tinctures or whatever would sort of cure people of... Maladies. Well, yeah. of... 
perceived maladies yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. You know well, what I they mean? Well, they had, I mean, I mean, they, they had a very, it was a male-dominated society, mm-hmm. and women were not expected to be forward, and uh, a forward woman was, it was considered more of a aberrant, Puritan so. society yeah. more than anything else. Well, I won't say that. Well, there was, was plenty of male-dominated societies where they weren't Puritan you know, weren't about women's sexuality. So it's completely different. How did this become a show about women's sexuality? Yeah. <laughs> well, because we're talking hysterical I'm just water. Getting horny. I don't know. It's what become hysterical, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, right. Well, so when you guys were coming up with this drink, were you taking aspects from what you've learned to create it, or is this actually what they put together? This is kind of inspired by... Um, okay historical recipe which which i think is a lot throughout your book yes. right i mean yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of the things are really just inspired by the well stories yeah you because you modern adaptations you couldn't sure. make the recipes the way they were written because mm-hmm. we couldn't like gather a whole hogshead of 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 ale right like we had to right. you know what i mean so they're they're right. written that was in the, the bucket and also i mean some of the ingredients are just not found anymore like millipedes or mugwort water so Okay, what is that? Do we know? Um, that's that's actually taken well, directly from were the, the historical the bugs. Yeah, right. and and what crunch, do they do? Crush, crush them, them up. up. And the mugwort, mugwort is a plant. Yes. So, yeah. I can okay. think of a thousand ways to use a millipede. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh my God. I was waiting. Thank God this show's only <laughs> <laughs> um. But they were really. Why did they think millipedes crushed into a drink were gonna help anybody? I don't know. Maybe yeah, the many legs would calm the many. The many hysteria. Elements of the <laughs> hysteria. Well, so for people who are going to pick up this book, what are some of? The, I mean, I feel like we've highlighted a lot today yeah. of really yeah. interesting things that are on there, uh, in there. But what are one or two, both of you, like pick one of your things that you think is the most interesting or that you didn't know as you were doing the research for the book? Uh, I, I mean, for me, it was, it was really this whole thing, like the DIY, uh, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is like. What I thought was surprising is how we've come back full circle to mm-hmm. uh, to today okay. with the craft movement. And Michael? Yeah, I agree with that. And, I mean, one of the, my, my approach to writing the recipes is that to do these things for yourself and that you make one recipe and then there's other recipes in the book that you can make from that one recipe. So right, so it's you like make a, a big batch you, of like syrup. A base. Yeah, right. you can, like, piggyback other things off of mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, I just really want people to, you know, really start making things for themselves and, you know, rely on yourself instead of the supermarket or – Brands and you know. Well, well so, wait, I got to jump in because okay. we're, we're getting close to the yeah, end here. I want to make sure everybody knows where they can find the book because it's called Colonial Spirits. Yes. Local bookstores. Uh, uh, Smithsonian picked it as one of its top books this year. Uh, top ten books, and it's also Amazon. Amazon now, will you guys do anything with the Smithsonian because they're doing their whole you know American oh, history and yeah, food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have uh, the beer. Um, hey, ma'am, we're working on it. Teresa was in last uh, two Good. weeks ago. Give me your number. Okay, absolutely, <laughs> I will. No, I think it makes sense, especially yeah. with what you're doing. Um, you know, she really brought forth some really terrific information about, you know, the immigrants who brought beer absolutely. to the states sure. and absolutely. how it changed everything. So um, it makes sense for you guys to yeah. be there. All right, well, thank you. Thank both. you. Oh, and w- so the shrub is not available in D.C. yet, right? Not yet. It will be. Okay. Ask Ask for it. Ask for it. Go into your beer distributor and demand right. it. Right, absolutely. All right, good. Well, we'll talk to Derek Still Brown or maybe. <laughs> right, well, you are what you are. Okay, yes, so yes. we want to thank everybody for coming in studio today. It was really a terrific show. And next week we're going to be doing some really fun things. 
So uh, Salamander Resort out in Middleburg, Virginia, has a new chef, and they are doing some crazy good things out there. And uh, also, we have McKellen Retreat. They're coming in. They're mixing up cocktails, so it should be a great show. Oh, boy, more cocktails. More cocktails. I know. It's odd on a Sunday. Anyway, we want to thank all of our guests again for a really interesting show. Very tasty. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a delicious week. 